Hey, I'm Alex, this is Lunchbox Radio, and this week we're talking about a really popular new show, surprise, surprise, called Ancient Magus, Ancient Magus's Bride. I think that's how it's pronounced. So, last season, or maybe two seasons ago, there was this... OVA of a thing being released in a really specific way by Crunchyroll. It was being billed as almost Studio Ghibli-esque in the way that it was animated and that it was handled and the whole nine yards. And it was the it was actually the OVA for the series that is airing now, Ancient Magus's Bride. And the story, from what I understand, is largely the same. It's just a, a different density of episodes, and the and the series I think goes farther than the story than the story in the um, OVA did. But it was being like premiered in theaters and like touted as this big thing, and but the theaters it was only it was premiering at were West Coast theaters. The places that Funimation that, um, not Funimation, but um, Crunchyroll could get it into. I I checked the kind of usual suspects on the East Coast in New York and New Jersey and I didn't see any showtimes for any of the, like, special movie screening style shows showings that they had so um basically the plot of this show is that a girl sells herself into slavery or at least this is I'm I'm gonna walk through how it's presented and then walk through what actually seems like it happens a girl sells herself into slavery because she's so... because she's massively depressed. And, like, the kind of depression that... she doesn't, at the age she's at, she's around 15, believes she's coming back from, and she has... she has reasons that the story tells you later to be depressed. So she sells herself into slavery, and she is bought i th- she's bought to England from Japan specifically by the slave by the slave dealer she sells herself to and auctioned off in a british auction house this big like really big dude who's a s- mage spe- he's specifically not a sorcerer he's a mage buys her, and his deal is basically no, not a whole lot of people know that much about him in, like, the quote-unquote human, normal human society world. They just know that he's a big deal, he's one of the last mages in the world, and, and this is key, he has a cow skull for a head. <laughs> his, his name is Ellis. His actual name is Ellis. They, the show often refers to him as, like, 
the Thorn Mage. And you see that represented lots of times by when he casts his magic. You see all these kind of vines of thorns just matting all over the place and weaving themselves all over the place, which is really, which is really beautifully done. And this whole show is just top to bottom, really well thought out and done. It it does take an odd sidestep with this kind of like super deformedness that it does sometimes, which to me it's just like it takes me out of the show for a second because the entire rest of the show is so specific in the way it looks and like it's so careful to like give you a real idea of what's happening and then all of a sudden they have this like jokey scene that's the only part of the show that I will say does I think doesn't feel quite right but that's me and that's me watching this thing and experiencing this thing so who knows he buys her and he buys her for two purposes he buys her at first he tells her, like, I bought I bought you, but you're not going to be a slave, you're going to be my apprentice. Why is that? Why did he have to buy somebody to be his apprentice? There are some things they get into later in the series that they... And this series is only five... It's only five in. I'm watching the same way everybody listening to this is. I, they... Call her what's called a slay beggy, I think it is. And basically, that means that her body is constantly exchanging magic with the world around her. So if she... It, it, it takes in and puts out magic infinitely in a way that her body can't that she as a person can't control and the story by episode 5 which is the latest episode out I think it updates every Saturday um, or a new episode comes out on Crunchyroll every Saturday they explain that this continuing to happen will cause her to die like this will be the, this will be the death of her if she's not taught very specifically how to control it. Um, so there's that little... So he... Ellis, or as the internet sometimes calls him, Bone Daddy. You can blame Jake from Anime News Network for putting that in my head. Um, or Skeleton Daddy, also from Anime News Network, although that one was written by Zach for Vice and Luna, um, takes her in because she has this special quality that is not only rare, but it's exceedingly rare in humans. So he buys her for just over 500 million pounds. And the way the auction house works is the auction house gets half of that sum, and then she gets half of that sum. So she has somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 million, 350 million pounds just to her name at any given point. But also 
Ellis bought her to be his apprentice. And then by the end, but by the end of the first episode, you find out that she, that he also bought her, hopefully to be his wife. And being that this is anime, and the way anime tends to go, with especially with its propensity for like creepy underage disgustingness, that could go bad really quickly. In different hands, this show would just feel gross. But the big thing that they make you understand about Ellis is not that he is without human feeling or any of that. You're never quite, A, you're never quite sure if he's human or if he was human or what the deal is because he has a cow, he has a cow skull for a head that is completely affixed to like a big muffly neck and a body. So like that's all a thing that happened. You don't know how that happened, but it did. Um he seems very aloof and detached from his surroundings, not from reality. He's very grounded and understands what's going on. He's just... He's like a scientist. But he's like a scientist who has, like, severe control of their emotional response. And when he says that he's looking for her to be his apprentice, that is this... He wants to pass on his magecraft to her. But when he says, I'm looking for you to be... Which is a very simple one-to-one thing. That's what that is. But when he says... I'm also hoping for you to be my bride, which is, I think, exactly what he says. He's not hoping for, like, the traditional marriage thing. He's hoping for companionship. Because from the one thing that you're led to believe, at least for the first five episodes... There's some inclination. The sixth episode introduces a different character that gives you a different kind of peek into who Ellis slash Bone Daddy is. But for the first five episodes, you get a real feeling of this guy's, like, world-renowned. And everyone knows him. But in a way where everybody knows him and knows about him, but doesn't, like, he doesn't hold anybody especially close. I mean, to the point of, there is this woman who is constantly doing housework, doing chores and all this stuff, and you, at Ellis's, at Ellis and, um, Chise, who is the main character, who is the, ostensibly the main character of the show, Ellis is 
house where Chisei lives, there's this woman who, I think by episode three, she's like, who is that lady? And he's just like, she's a fairy. She technically owns this house. And she does stuff for us. So he has this very solitary existence that for whatever reason he is seeking to not have anymore. And Chise had prepared herself to be sold, from what I can gather, basically into sexual slavery. Like she, she had, she she asked a few. They highlight a flashback where you find out that she was tired of being alone because the thing about her ability, the like being a sleigh beggy, is that because she draws in and puts out such massive amounts of magic constantly. Magical creatures are attracted to her and will always be attracted to her. And they have this urge to help her or hurt her, as you find out in the first episode in the first episode with the with the Ares. They basically want to throw her into a portal. We don't know what happened. Odds are she dies. But and by the fifth episode, you realize that, like, she can also use the Ares for, like, their help and all this other stuff. But, because magical creatures are, atta- are attracted to her, she can't... It brings her a huge amount of misfortune. She has no luck in basically anything. And the way Ellis describes it, that is entirely common for sleigh beggies to experience because all of that magic isn't that is basically thrust upon them from the moment they're born isn't something they want. On top of that, it's not just hinted at but explained that her mother committed suicide. Her mother either either committed suicide, most likely, or died of some disease is also a possibility. And left her without a parent. Her father... It's not explained what happened to her father, but he could just be typical anime dad. Um, But because she had no family, she got passed around to all these relatives... And because she had such bad luck and she was attracting all these magical creatures that, and this is an important point, only she could see among her family. Those magical creatures would oftentimes attempt to help her or do something and cause misfortunes for anybody she was around. So she was essentially rejected one at a time by everybody in her family constantly and always and she became and also it seems like everybody she kind of knew in life 
meaning friends, family, teachers, the whole nine yards. And so she got, she was driven to the point eventually of wanting to commit suicide. And that's when, and this is really important because the anime starts off suggesting she sold herself into slavery. This was her choice without any kind of provocation, whatever. The slave, the slave seller, for lack of a better term, the slave, the slave merchant, for lack of a better term, convinced her. He said, and it's not, it's not necessarily seen as him being cruel or him, it, it's, it's place, it's, he says it like a, as if it's an emotionless business decision. And he says, it's a shame, basically he says, it's a shame you don't want your life anymore. Why don't you sell it to somebody? And it, it's easy. This show does something that is very specific. It does a very good job at presenting things as they are with no tint, with very little tint to them. And presenting, like, nature and humanity as, like, raw elements that are not judged by the show and ultimately you as the viewer. And the moment in the moment in the show where the slave where the slave merchant says, Why don't you sell your life to somebody else? It it feels evil at first, but when you pause and you think about it, you realize he just stopped that girl from killing herself. For whatever reason he did it, he did it. But it's it was an action he did for her, essentially. He gave her a way out to continue living. That he ended up profiting from, but in addition to her continuing living, she has enough money, at least the show says the amount, she has enough money and that very specific because you can do the math of what the pound is worth to and the means by which because she's not being forced to stay with Ellis to live by herself and live comfortably and be okay because he said why don't you sell your life to someone else and Ellis happened to be the one who bought her. If someone else bought her, it would it would be the story would have a totally different thing. But whatever. And the story and the story and the show continue to do that. There's an episode. I think it's episode three with dragons, where it talks about death in a very specific, matter of fact. Div- way that suggests 
at least for Dragon, death isn't something we look forward to or or isn't something to be dreaded or looked forward to. It is simply part of a natural cycle and it is part of nature for things to die and to return to the earth and to help the earth grow and help future generations grow and it is nothing is described in this show or very little in this, in the, is described in this show as being truly evil until about episode 4 and 5 which if you're watching the show and you've seen those episodes you know that mages are people who essentially use magic to perform miracles for the world somehow but sorcerers are basically the businessmen of mag- of the magical world this pl- this whole thing is suggesting and they do things to help people without telling them the consequences and for their own gain and for their own profit. Um, they have an example in, of in the show which episode 4 and 5 very clearly demonstrate and then they give you at by the end of episode 5 they've given you two more examples of this is the kind like that was the kind of sorcerer in in episode 4 and for part of 5 that this is the kind of sorcerer that existed in like the middle of middle ages who ultimately only wanted to use this loving couple for human experimentation and then the kinds of sorcerers in modern day who want to use that failed experiment to study, essentially like a science project. And uh, all Ellis and Chise are there to do is to essentially purify it, right the wrong, help, help push nature forward, help give nature a pushing start forward. And that's really interesting, because it's... This show is full of an appreciation and a closeness with the world around the characters that you don't see not necessarily in a lot of anime a lot of anime has almost too much to do with nature and the natural world and all this stuff lots of anime tries to bend over backwards to say like the environment must be protected harming the environment is bad polluting is bad I mean you can think of tons of examples like in um, Gundam Double O. There's certain particles in that. the certain like magical space particles in that show that will like cripple you for life, basically. Or in other shows, in a great many other shows, like 
demons come up to kill the humans because the humans are polluting and thus, like, off, like, killing the earth and therefore, by extension, killing hell. Like, it's really, I, I am all for being green and, like, acknowledging the environment is important. I think it is. But, just story-wise, some shows tend to twist themselves into this knot to appreciate to appreciate the environment in a way that helps the story when it would not be necessary at all. Um, but Agent Magus, Agent Magus's Bride, is like. Ghibli in the way that it understands how to present the like the world and the environment and environmentalism at, and nature as it is and as a thing and as a thing that humans and other creatures should steward essentially and that's a really interesting thing because it it talks about nature as like death is part of it and like all this other stuff that I've already mentioned but the uh, and I've mentioned the show the visuals and the lots of people say that like this is it has this feel like Harry Potter crossed with Ghibli uh, but I think that does it a disservice because the atmosphere and the mu- and the music and the visuals all have this understanding of now not only all the characters but of specifically the main character so oftentimes when you watch a anime Eventually, you just skip over the opening, and you just skip over the ending. And the ending here is not—it's not anything special. It's not actually a bad ending theme, but the thing that hamstrings it is the opening of this show. really amazing it, it is as as somebody who has studied animation and stump, somebody who has seen film and appreciates music and the combination of all of those things it makes you feel what that character feels even if only for a second and that is a combination of everything of the like kind of unique style of this show the atmosphere it pumps at you constantly. The music choice for the opening. If you haven't seen this show yet, at the very least, go look up its opening because it is striking. It like the the one of the first thing the first thing you'll see in the opening will stay with you. It will make you understand kind of how hopeless this girl feels the the place that her life has gotten her to and how 
deep and dark that is. And the show never forgets that. She say moves and acts and responds like she's in a daze, like like she is what she is. Almost suicidally depressed. And she... There are a couple scenes where she falls into some sort of, like, pit of water. I say pit because it's like a stream, it's a lake, it's like the ocean. She falls into water a couple times. And it's not a running scene in the show, but it is this moment that the show creates where they remind you she's not swimming up to save herself. She is someone who perceives herself as having no value to the world. So she, at her core, many times is okay with not being in it anymore. She is not... She is no longer in a place where she's actively trying to remove herself from the world. But if the... But if that happens, she is okay with it. She... She will not... She will not fight to remain in the world. And by episode five, you learn that there's the possibility that Ellis, the big cow skull bone daddy dude, is using her because she is an exceedingly rare thing in the magical world. And these sorcerers, these two sorcerers that they that they encounter basically say, why are you staying with him? He's using you. Grow a pair, basically. And her response is very honest. She says, my entire life I've been rejected by everybody what ever attempted to be close to. He is the first he is the first person and she referred to him specifically as a person, which I find interesting, to accept to not only accept me, but to say that I'm important to him, that I'm useful, and that I am family. And she says until I am no longer any of those things to him, to Ellis. I don't care if he's using me. I don't care if I die. I don't... any of those things. I am here for him, to be of use to him. But then something really interesting happens. Because she knows she will die if she goes on, just from, she will die from living sooner, sooner than, basically, humanly, normally humanly possible. She is 15. If she's, 
if left alone as a normal 15-year-old, she lived to 85 or whatever. Whatever the ma- She has the potential to live to 120. They make it sound like by the time she's 20, she's dead. Or even sooner. And the show hints at this because she's given... So, if anybody's ever seen... Um, and it's a trope in fantasy magic stories. These crystals that can be formed into things however the person imagines them. She's given one by a... by essentially a magical blacksmith. And this magical blacksmith said to her, here, give it a try. Like, you've never actually had the... Up until that point, it's true. You've never actually had the occasion to practice magic, to have any practice at it. So why don't you try and picture anything you can and turn this crystal into it? All you have to do is picture it in your mind. And what happens next is presented as, oh, she doesn't know how to control her power yet. Basically, she turns this one, like, fist size of a crystal into an entire small room's worth of a flower patch. And it's... And Ellis stops it and saves her and everybody in the room by extension because what it's basically hint what's basically hinted at is that flower patch would have not stopped. It would have continued for as far as it possibly could outside of the room, outside of the earth, blah 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 blah. Because she because she says like a faucet that's turned on and kept on permanently. At full blast, at full bore, constantly. But then later, in episode three, or I think it's episode, it has to be episode three, it is episode three, where um, she shares this kind of vision of flight with a dragon, and once again, she pours all of her, her magical power out, and she, en- she ends up fainting, essentially, after that. As pre- and, and that presented as, oh, she's just tired, that was a lot. That was, the, most, most humans never get to see that, that was a lot. By the end of episode 5, you understand that she is essentially burning brightly permanently and will ultimately go out to you the clumsy candle met- metaphor she she is not she is not the eternally raging volcano she is the flare shot up in the night and she will eventually just flicker out and disappear or die as it were and she says all of these things to all of these people, to to the two sorcerers. Like I don't, I don't care if he's using me. I don't care. 
for as long as I'm useful, I will be with him, whatever that means, blah, 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 blah. But also in the back of her head, she realizes, I'm going to die. I will die. And the the show up until the uh, for episode 3 and episode 5 has this has these two episodes that are very focused on death very focused on what death means and why death shouldn't be avoided and all of this stuff and you but you're given but you're all you're also you're given this character who all of a sudden realizes that they have the that they do have the normal human reaction to their death when it's presented in other things or at for to as other people dying no that's bad and at the end of episode 5 it's the first time the audience is presented with she say doesn't actually want to die all the events that have happened to her so far got her to a place where she had died but the events that have happened to her since she has belonged essentially to Ellis have given her some reason to live. And it's... In that moment, you feel the full swing of... her emotional state. And it's, it's... It's a really... really, really... skillful thing that not many stories or animes or anything could really handle skillfully and well and without this feeling of complete melodrama that just makes you want to barf and You also realize that with the kind of view of nature and the passage of time and the way nature works that Ellis clearly has, you almost wonder if he cares if she dies. You almost wonder if he is willing to prolong her life somehow. And we don't know that yet because... episode 5 ended with her having a revelation of like oh I will die one day like that is the way this all ends um but you don't know if the you don't know if the show will give will, will give her conditions or give her an out, or any of that stuff. Because the show... But the one thing the show had told you is that people who are naturally evade death 
create bad in the world. That is what that is that is what episode four and five are about as a as just like that is their message that do not evade deaths you create on unnatural circumstances unnatural circumstance for bad to exist in the world not evil evil is too strong and bad is really too strong you ex- you cause because of the way the world must balance you create an, a heavy negative in response to a not equal positive basically and it's just, the whole show i i thought about talking about something else that ha- that had already completed but i wanted to talk about this show not only because it's popular but because it I think it's good that it's popular. It's nuanced and careful and well told and on and honest in a way that I think is important. Now it it could it could totally jump up jump off a bridge and be terrible. I mean, that that's happened. That totally happened. But I don't think it's likely. I think that it will be a really good show. I, I, what I hope, however, is that this show doesn't suffer the same fate as a show that I think is equally as honest and as straightforward about nature and about the concepts of good and evil and all those things which is Mushishi. If any of you have ever seen Mushishi any episode of Mushishi you kind of You you'll you can notice the similarities. Mushishi is at its core a show about nature and a man who is a caretaker of nature around the world. And he, but he also goes around the world. Essentially, the way sorcerers do in this show, helping people to be at peace with nature. Helping them understand that they are part of something bigger and here is how you can live normally within this big system. And in a couple couple of those, of the episodes of Mushishi, he can't help those people. And it and it's a very on- and they're very honest moments as to why. And this show has the same feel of in episode three when she say desperately like she wants a way to 
help this big old dragon who is going to die. He is he is going to die. And she asks him, is it painful? And he says, sometimes. And she says... She, ba- she basically says, is there a way that any of us, that me or Ellis can help? And the dragon says, no, the, the pain, pain and joy and sadness and happiness and all of it is all mixed together. And it's important to experience it all. And many shows forget that. They treat pain as something to be avoided, as something to be shunned and shut out of life so that you can make the greenest pasture possible. But as global warming would teach you, if you try and game the system, you are simply pushing off each and every bad thing to a further point. You are you are delay you are in some way delaying the inevitable. You are delay you are instead of say, instead of saying this is a bad this is a bad thing that happens with a good thing next to it, you are saying, I will take the good thing now and I will push the bad thing into the future. And it's imp- it's important that people understand the consequences of that. The consequences of that right now, in many cases, are very ap- apparent. But most people won't make that connection. And anime has a very had a big tendency to be a young hobby. Most anime fans last about uh, come in around mid to early teen, early to mid teens, and leave around sometimes late teens or max their twenties. They're not. It's not a. It's not a fandom with a lot of very old fans at least not yet or maybe even ever I, I've i been watching anime and bumping around in the anime world for better part of a decade since I was 9 or 10 I'm 20 I'm, I'm almost 30 now so it's important to have shows that tell people to live life and experience the whole of it, not just the good things, because people, as I'm sure many of you listening know, people who experience nothing but good in life are incapable of truly dealing with it. People who experience nothing but bad in life have a different problem entirely, but people who experience both 
in equal measure on some level become fully formed people who can truly live. And that's my big argument to why Ancient Magus' Bride is a really good force of a show in the world and why I really hope that past this big season where it's presented as this big, beautiful kind of tour de force marquee show that it lasts. That it's not just it's not just given this status for the purpose of marketing and money making and Crunchyroll subscriptions and what have you. That it lasts the, that it stands the test of time and it becomes not necessarily classic, but something that people recommend to people and they say, you know, you, you if you're looking for an anime that will affect you, go watch go watch this show. Go watch Mushishi. Go watch Ancient Magus' Bride. Go watch Howl's Moving Castle. Go watch, you know, Cowboy Bebop. Go watch... I, I, I really hope that this show eventually gets to be that in that... in the company of those other shows. And like, another one, Princess Mononoke. Princess Mononoke will forever be one of the great, not even animated movies, but movies about nature. I think that this show, as somebody who has seen Princess Mononoke countless times and can breathe the lines of that movie, I hope this show gets as much appreciation for what it's doing and the way it's treating nature and the nuance of it and the importance of it and w- and how that translates to human feelings and all those things. Um, that said, now that the heavy part of this whole thing is over, apparently, I didn't see that coming. Um, if you like this ep- if you like this episode of the show or if you like this show, um, or you're listening to this episode because you've listened to what is most likely the ep- uh, the episode I did on um Boruto na- colon Naruto Next Generation or also you might be li- listening to the episode that I'm and I'm proud of all my episodes but I'm particularly proud of my Uri on Ice episode um which you also might be listening to have listened to before if you like either of those, I encourage you to share this show with your friends. Um, subscribe to us in iTunes or whatever you get your podcast. Um, I have been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. And I will talk at you next week.